I know that the summer of 1995 was a bit like this. At this time of year, it was nice and warm and all these things happening. I know this because it was the summer that I was ordained. And, and Methodist system is you go off to conference and you go into the conference hall uh, where you're received into full connection. And a man called John Taylor, who was the, the Methodist Rottweiler of the time to keep us all in order, was the, the man in charge of this part of the thing at conference. And he found me and he said, you're first alphabetically. If it all goes wrong, it's your fault. <laughs> so that happened in the Colson Hall in Bristol with all the ordinands there and conference did what he had to do. And then you were sent off to be ordained and we got sent to Bath. And um, as it transpired, John Taylor, the Rottweiler, was in charge of our ordination service as well. So it was very exciting. And we were in the underneath of this church. The church was above, the hall was below, and the immediate family of the ordinands were having tea in preparation for going upstairs to the service. And John Taylor is walking in to tell us it's time to go. And our Ben, who was 10 months old, vomited like he had never done in his life before or since. It went everywhere. Over him, over his buggy, which was sat in to, to be fed, and I think over the woman who was standing there trying to talk to him to distract the fact these parents were about to leave. It was a scene of utter and complete chaos. And John Taylor said, you'd better come now. <laughs> and we left this scene behind us, and these poor women of Bath having to cope with a very unhappy little boy. It's the nearest I can get in my mind, that scene, to what it must have been like on that beach. When, at least metaphorically, I think, the fish, revising it says spewed, other version says vomited forth Jonah, and all the debris of the fish's stomach, I would imagine, is sat around in the seaweed entangled round his hair. It's a fairly bleak picture, and I sort of think that the, the writer of this story wants us to hold that image in mind as we continue with Jonah through the rest of the story. That the image of Jonah amidst the debris of the beach is an important one as we go to Nineveh, this great city. The author, in a sense, intends us to sort of almost recoil with horror at that scene as the setting for what is to come. So we'll go to Nineveh. Now, I don't know how you choose where to go on holiday, what the requirements are for the place where you will spend your time. But I suspect that most of us don't choose to go to somewhere that is dangerous. You know, we're not likely to go to Afghanistan or the Democratic Republic of the Congo, places which are unstable as a general rule. Indeed, the thought of working there might put us off. There's a, a couple in the circuit whose son works in Iraq and the father says it's his choice and the mother, you can see whenever she talks about it, is worried because of the situation that is there. There are places where we might choose not to go. And for Jews, in the time of Jonah, Nineveh would be a place to avoid. Because we know that at certain points in history, 
7th, 8th, 9th century BC, Assyria is in the ascendant. They are the world superpower. And the Jews, who were this small, little, eclectic group of people, would be worried about the influence that Nineveh might have because they were beginning, in a sense, to take over most of the known world. For the Jews, the names of kings like Tilgath, Palisir and Sennacherib would cause that reaction of fear because they knew what their history had been about. In 722 BC, the Assyrians had come down and taken over what we call the Northern Kingdom, the Ten Tribes of Israel, leaving two in Judah. Assyrians were some of the nasties of Jewish history. And to give you a picture, I suppose, of how they might see them, the, the prophecy of Nahum, which is something we don't often go to, is all about the Assyrians. And this perhaps speaks of how the, the Jews will want the Assyrians to be dealt with. This comes from God speaking to Nahum when he says to the Assyrians, I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle, a place against which God thunders. And here's Jonah, and this is the place that he is invited to go to. Now, we don't know where this beach was, where he sat amongst all the debris, but if we take Joppa, where he set off from, as a starting point, it's a 900-mile walk to Nineveh. And you can imagine this man on this journey and his mind wondering about what was going to happen to this huge city. If you know your geography, it's just like Mosul in northern Iraq. And the city had a circumference of 60 kilometers. Or was that miles? Just let me check. Take that back, 60 miles. We can work in miles, 60 miles. It was home to about 120,000 people. And as the story tells us, it took three days to walk across it. I think we can understand why Jonah was reluctant to go. This was the worst place imaginable for him to be sent to discharge his duty as a prophet. But sent forth from the belly of the fish, he goes. And I suppose that Nineveh image speaks of the places that we are reluctant to go in the name of Christ. When Matthew said to the disciples, go into all nations, that was a word for them as it is a word for us of the importance of going and speaking out the good things of God. And the image of Nineveh reminds us at times that that can be intimidating, can bring us a, a sense of fear as we look to somewhere that in a way is beyond our comprehension, somewhere that may frighten us. In a way, Nineveh can almost feel a bit like a wall that intimidates us, and we need to allow Jonah to help us to dismantle that and see a more positive possibility. Because having got a sense of Nineveh, we then need a sense of prophecy. I had a colleague once who spent seemingly most of his time whinging 
and moaning about what he had to do. The, the, the rough deal the church had given him. The way that the congregations were. Everything, it would seem, was wrong in his life. And when he got to the end of his diatribe, he normally finished it with something like, but I shouldn't complain really. And you felt like sort of shaking him and saying, just listen to what you are saying. The world generally doesn't really appreciate those who spend their time whinging. And as we said, Jonah was a whinger par excellence. Next week, Roger Fox will take you to whinge central as he reflects on chapter four of what happened in this story. Here is Jonah on his way to Nineveh to announce the good news, to speak of God. And he gets there after his long plod through a fairly arid landscape. He gets there, goes in for a day, announces, and you can almost imagine him waiting for the reaction, people wanting to throw him out, attack him or whatever else. He announces what he has to say. And lo and behold, the people repent. And then the news comes to the king. This feared figure, this autocrat, this person in whose presence you would be flat on the floor through fear that he might not like the look of your face. The king disposed of his royal robes and sits down in ashes wearing sackcloth and he issues this proclamation that everybody and all the animals are to share in this period of fasting, this period of reflection. And the most exciting thing about this, I think, is the fact that this failed prophet, this questionable character Jonah, is the one who brings that about. In a way, he is a failure who is incredibly successful. And in a way, we can contrast that with the picture of Jesus. When as we go through Lent, we see Jesus looking over Jerusalem and weeping. Where the one who should have been a success appears in those moments to be a failure. Because it's not happening in the way that everyone was expecting. The people were waiting for something different and the tears that came to Jesus' face were the last thing that they expected. And I suppose therefore what this story invites us to do is to remember the importance of engagement with what God calls us to do, how he calls us to be. Jonah seemingly didn't expect the people to listen and was astounded when they did. And there is perhaps there an image for us as we consider something of how we reach out into the world and the fears in a way we, we put in the place. That if we say things we will get a negative reaction. If we speak, people won't listen. The story of Jonah invites us to have the courage to speak because 
even the great and the good or the not so good might listen and respond. But if we don't speak, the chance of that happening are less likely. Jonah, this failed prophet, gives us hope because God was able to use even him. And perhaps helps us to consider that if we approach these things with energy and positivity, with a bit of enthusiasm, with a dose of courage, then maybe we'll be on the church, we'll hear what we are saying and consider the message of Jesus anew. Because this prophet got a result. It's a, a huge step from Nahum's, I will throw my filth at you, to the king of Nineveh sat there in his sackcloths, sackcloth and ashes. It is a phenomenal story of what Jonah was able to achieve. And if nothing else, it speaks of the beauty of repentance. Just imagine this city, this people, who found this traveller in their midst, who perhaps with a, a faltering voice spoke the things of God and for whatever reason, by the movement of the Holy Spirit, we would say, they listened and responded. They repented. And repentance is a beautiful thing. Because when we repent, when we say that we are sorry, we are recognising before God that we get it wrong. And the gift of forgiveness that's at the heart of our faith is something we should never take for granted because it is the most beautiful thing where God says, well, okay, you've messed up and now you can be cleansed and made whole once more. And so the invitation to speak to the world, to be a prophetic community, is a reminder that what we are called to speak about is love and forgiveness. The message we're called to communicate is about wholeness, is about the benefits of a relationship with our God, with knowing Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to share the story of faith. I've just started reading a book by a man called Alistair McGrath that's about the creeds. And he says that the biggest challenge that the church faces, that, that we face, is that people outside assume they know the story and what we're about. They assume they know what happens in here on a Sunday morning or whenever it may be. And in effect, Alistair McGrath says, we need to go out there and say to them, it's not what you think. 
Yesterday, the, the day when we're reflecting on our, our worship life, I asked the question, how has worship changed? And the first answer that came, how has worship changed over people's experience of the church was the question. And the first answer that came was how much more relaxed worship is. You know? So you don't have to wear a suit. You don't have to wear your Sunday best. There is a greater freedom, in a way, to be ourselves in the midst of this communal experience. Jonah went and spoke of God and said, this is what God wants you, the Ninevites, to do. And bless them, the Ninevites listened. And that reminds us, when we speak of faith, of the church, of Christ's call to our lives, we need to talk about the important things, of the love, of the fellowship, of the hope, of forgiveness, and of this beautiful thing called repentance. For whenever someone comes to that point, of confessing their sins, they recognise their need of God. Last weekend on the town uh, Alpha Course Away Day that's been happening on a Wednesday night with involvement from across the towns, people gave their lives to Christ. They came to this point of repentance and saw their need to change. And that was a hallelujah moment. And so it reminds us that whenever we are out there and talking about the things of faith, we are giving people the chance to experience a hallelujah moment. Giving them the opportunity to understand something of what God has done for us and for them. So that rather than running away towards Tarshish, going with Jonah on the boat, we need to go with him to Nineveh and see how this pathetic prophet did the remarkable and thereby remind ourselves that if God could use someone like Jonah then why can't he use you and I? Jonah, this angry, moaning, unpleasant little man, did the remarkable. Now, I'm not suggesting you're angry, or that you're moaning, or that you're unpleasant. But if God can use Jonah, why can't he use every one of us if we can have, like Jonah did, the courage to say, this is something of God and long and hope that we might be able to see, as Jonah did, something of the beauty of repentance.